Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. In this episode, I'm interviewing Margot Neely. She is the CEO of Neely & Daughters, which is a consultancy aimed at startups based in New York. But Margot is also an artist and she's actually most famous for her creation of the Neely Air, which is a drum machine shoe. (laughs) It is an interesting breadth of experience, but they do actually have one common theme of interest, which is PR, but specifically PR coverage, gaining the attention of investors and gaining funding. So Margot has taken this firsthand experience that she had from the first project that really made her famous of the drum machine shoe, which you'll hear more about, and taking this through to all sorts of organizations and really helping them grow. So she helps entrepreneurs, she's helping startups in different sectors, and importantly, causes that really do need that attention and funding as well. So this episode really is gold dust. If you are working with any entrepreneurs or startups, and you want to prove that your PR coverage is really making that difference. Okay, get your pens ready to take note. Here's Margot. Margot, thank you so much for joining me on the PR Resolution Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Stella. It's a pleasure to be here. So some of our listeners, if they follow the blog content on the resolution may well recognize you because we found out a little bit about your amazing projects. And it's actually a lot of what you're famous for, if I'm right. It's around known for being the creator of the Adidas Roland music concept shoe, right? Which went viral. That is correct. (laughs) So I've got questions (laughs) about that project. But before I ask you specifically about that, How did you go from being an artist to a startup business consultant helping organizations (laughs) gain funding? That's what I want to know. (laughs) It seems, I know it seems wild and potentially illogical, but it actually was a very logical move for me because I came from an interdisciplinary background. So I'd studied all sorts of subjects. I'm also known for being very organized. So A lot of what I did in terms of executing artistic projects in film, theater, or even visual art had lots of different components. So I was producing, I was directing, I was getting everyone together. And people started to see this and it's run just like a business. So then people would say, well, if she can do that with that huge television product and play all the different roles and keep everyone working together as a unit, maybe she can help us here. So it was fortunate for me because I did have, I kind of have like some business acumen. So it was a natural 
transition to helping people, particularly with startups and things like that, where they're starting with a tiny idea, but they need to kind of flesh it out and create a world. So I had been weirdly known as this person who creates worlds for things. And it just kind of, you know, I do it in all different spaces for all different kinds of people. So that was going to lead nice lead on to my next question. Actually, do you obviously the and I do want to get into the detail of the musical shoe, <laughs> but do you tend to sort of focus on a particular sector when you're helping organisations? What kind of people do you help? I have worked in many different sectors. I've worked in tech, everything in entertainment, television, film, theatre. I've done with my business go-to-market products. We've worked with huge corporations to do events and things of that nature. But it really, what's at the heart of what I've been doing for the last, let's say, 10 years, startups, causes, and charitable organizations. Because they're often just kind of coming from an idea or a hope, or they're trying to fill a need or do something major, a global world-changing thing and getting that called together in a way that makes sense and crafting a strategy, there's a lot needed there where I can be helpful. Mm. So that's who's gravitated to me and my work in, let's say, the last 10 years, although we've done so many things. Anytime people are looking for, they want something big, something new, innovative, or vision, somehow wonderfully we connect And then I'm able to come in and we're able to bring amazing things into the world. So it's launching, making people know, attracting funding. Yes. It sounds, yeah. I mean, I know from like looking into some of the projects, which we're going to hear about in this interview, you really, really have helped people in an incredible, incredible way. But the reason why I was so keen to get you onto this podcast is because you do believe that PR has a huge part to play in this. Um, I do. I absolutely do. And I also think PR is easy when you are starting with content or anything that is inspired. Because one of the things I do or don't do is I don't like to work on things that feel forced. If people just say, we're looking for a moment It's very difficult to manifest that because it's not real. But if it's real or someone has a novel idea, the outgrowth from that is so natural that getting attention for it is honestly quite easy. And getting that attention and getting that real PR is mission critical for any business. So really, for me, it's always, what are we starting with? Where is the inspiration coming from? Where did it come from? And is it authentic? And if it's not, that's when I think people have PR issues. Or they say, why isn't this working? If they can't figure out why it's working, it's because they're probably trying to force an outcome. In my experience, that's at least been what I've witnessed. And for myself, with my own work, I do not work on anything that didn't come to me as a fully formed idea. So I won't take a year to kind of think something up. I know from my own experience that conceiving of things does not, (laughs) in whatever form we're talking about, doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself to be open to that inspiration and then naturally letting things unfold is the arena (laughs) where I thrive and I think where everything thrives. 
Yeah. So something that was really innovative of an idea <laughs> was it would be great to start talking about the Adidas shoe that yes. you came up with that did really go viral and people did talk about a lot. I've seen the coverage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know that you created a coverage book report with that. And yeah, could you tell us, like, just to share with the listeners about, yeah, from idea concepts, the activation, but then also what the PR did importantly. Oh, yes. And again, I think these two things are completely inextricable because the PR, as you'll see, was the essential component for me to actually drive this forward. So I was and have been historically in these art collectives and writing groups and things in New York. And one of the things I'd always wanted to do was a custom shoe. There's a huge market for customs. If people are familiar with that, there's a lot of enthusiasm around that as it relates to sneaker culture, fashion, music, all of that. So I was talking to people in the art collective and one day it came up, why don't we each try to innovate a custom? That was the prompt. It was just for kicks. So just for fun. Will we execute them? We'll see because you need resources and all that. So I kind of let it go. And then one day, December 2012, I was sitting at my desk working on another project and the whole idea came to me. So what I designed was a sneaker, a sort of retro looking high top with a drum machine built into the sole. And the purpose of this was to, it was coming from my own history. I grew up in North New Jersey not to date myself, but I'll be 45 this month. Oh, and if you look great. Thank you. For any of the listeners it, who are watching on YouTube, she doesn't look that age. Thank <laughs> you. But we were coming out of this kind of crazy time of upheaval in the city from the late 1960s into the 70s and early 80s. And one of the outgrowths of this was hip hop culture. And a lot of the early hip hop stuff was coming from where I grew up. And it was coming from Queens. It was coming from Brooklyn. So it was like these hometown people that were making good. And the instrument they were using was this 808 drum machine, which also has a kind of crazy history about making the inventor who was an engineer wanted to make music accessible to everyone. So I'm looking at New York in the present. I'm thinking about New York City when I grew up. And I'm thinking about how staid and boring things were. And how cool it would be to actually be in the streets, not with your music pumped into your ears, but actually kind of making music as you move. So I put this idea together because I, I, what I'm telling you now, I actually saw the, the story, the blueprints, how it would work. It just came to me as this fully formed idea. So what I did was I mocked it up and I created the outline, the blueprint, how it would work with Bluetooth and all this stuff. And then nothing happened. And then five years later, basically completely out of the blue, it just sat on my website. We never made the shoe. It was, we were on to the next project. It just went viral. When people found the outline for what this was, what it looked like, but really what it did, they were so enthusiastic. And the super cool thing for me was that people who made music, they really got it. They loved it. They said, I could use this as a DJ. I could use it as a dancer. They understood how the technology would work because they were familiar with the interfaces and the equipment. 
And they knew this is something that has to be brought into the world. So suddenly it went from people that I knew in New York that were kind of, you know, sometimes your friends and the people you're working with are not your best audience. But when the right people see what you're doing, they get it and then they embrace it. So it gave me this incredible opportunity to speak to the real audience. That was the power of PR for me. Once this thing got in front of the correct eyes, there was no explaining that needed to be done. It was just this rare instance of total love, enthusiasm, and this camaraderie that came out of this instrument. So it was wonderfully empowering for me because I just received this idea and put it out there. To see other people take it, understand it, and run with it was like amazing. And from this incredible PR, because through our channels and through the coverage book, we have the data that not only did we have these beautiful personal stories, and I had this opportunity to really kind of pour my heart out and explain what I do and what this was about, we were able to obtain 54 million fans on social media. We know that we had at the minimum 10.9 million coverage views on the articles. And the articles were on every continent, major publications. If you look at the coverage book, you can actually go through and see. I'll link in the notes. Yes. Which reached as the publications themselves reach 6.1 billion people. I mean, that's astounding. And it was, as a creator, it was so uplifting for me. It was truly nothing but love. I don't think anyone said really anything negative. And from there, we were able to take this press, put it together in this coverage book. And because we had this, and not just, it, it was beyond proof of concept. It got me into talk with lots of people for fundraising and all kinds of organizations. And then it eventually led to us being introduced to people in the engineering department at UMass Amherst, where they began actually building the prototype. So, which that's a dream come true for me. And I think for anyone trying to realize anything, to see this go from the concept to hands-on being able to work with the engineers was overwhelming, incredible, and it's fulfillment. It's the actual manifestation of the idea. So amazing. What a story. Love it. What was the journey between really getting into the detail between the coverage going live and then going to this, the really important funding phase? Yes. Because that then led to the dream, which was the prototype being built. But was there sort of additional work? How did you go about sort of attracting these fundraisers from the coverage book? <laughs> so I was very lucky in that my professional reputation, I had lots of contacts with all different people in different sectors. People I knew who were my friends that I wasn't really even working with said, hey, I know someone or I know someone. And at the very least, on the basis of the coverage, they were able to put me in contact. I mean, I had a three or four year period when this went viral from the minute it went viral, which was April of 2017, immediately we cycled up the coverage book 
And that just started this three or four year period where all I did was give interviews and talk to people in fundraising, in the fashion industry, in the music industry. And that was a challenging time too, because that's just dealing with people. That's just, can you make a deal? Are we willing to get behind you? Can we make an investment? And if there's one thing I can say to anyone who's an entrepreneur out there, sometimes that doesn't work out, but you just have to keep going. You just have to keep going because you'll know when you're in the right place. And again, I was fortunate that I was able to talk to a lot of people. People knew me, so there I had credibility at that point, and they were happy to introduce me to other people. And it was just, it was sort of kismet, actually, because my connections were coming through very strange places. People that said, hey, I saw that coverage book. Hey, I read that article. I can't believe the numbers. And they were happy to facilitate meetings for me. And then it was just up to me to get in the room and talk to people. And I had a very lovely person who was able to connect me to UMass. And that was really what I wanted because working with a university or any company that has resources that they are willing to share with you, because I'm all about building things and bringing things into the world, that was huge. I'm totally hands-on in every part of the process. So it wasn't ever going to be that I would just hand it off and disappear and then just exclusively be giving press. So that in a nutshell but it was all driven by the coverage book. I say that it's an amazing tool, numerically being able to show people the data. They could read every article. I could send them, I could send them the 344 articles and that would be great because the articles are wonderful. But when you start to see those numbers and then you connect those numbers to the enthusiasm, the impact, you can't make that stuff up. So it quantified the enthusiasm for people. And that's also really super important to me. Data, numbers, but part of the authenticity is that. Listeners, I didn't ask Margot to be talking about coverage books yet. You did not. (laughs) But we are, we're there, we're there. Unpaid investment. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to CoverageBook.com for your free trial. I know that because I've seen some of your numbers on the site and on the case study that you did include the sort of the views, the, the coverage views. So was it useful in it being sort of a more realistic approach rather than, oh, it could have this amount of reach or this amount of eyeballs? (laughs) <laughs> it was enormously important for me because I also am a person, I don't like to fool myself. You know, I try to remain as grounded as possible because if you don't ground yourself, the world will <laughs> eventually. But again, to quantify things in my mind legitimizes them because all day long we could be singing our praises and saying, oh, we're so wonderful and so great. And isn't this fantastic? <laughs> but it works to a degree. But if we're talking about getting things accomplished, yeah. numbers are where you have to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, the love letters for sure. But if you can then say, I have 1,000 love letters, <laughs> and then 50 million people read the love letters and said, We love it too. It gives you an idea of the scale of the audience. When you're talking to anyone that you're approaching for money, that's what they need to see. 
because they're thinking about a new financial investment. Yeah. And if it's all theoreticals, they don't want to write a check. Mm. And sometimes you're talking to a person who doesn't believe in what you're doing, but they heard that a lot of other people liked it. And that's where numbers are also helpful because you may never like move their heart, but sometimes you'll move their wallet by having those numbers and showing you might not be the, again, just like with your friends, the person you're going to for the investment might, might not necessarily be your audience, but if they become aware that there is an audience, you've qualitatively and quantitatively proven this for them, then as an investor, they'll want to potentially get behind it. That's, especially nowadays, that's like the time I feel we're living in where people are very conservative about what they want to invest in. And you really do have to make a case, a strong case. And you don't really have a case if you don't have evidence, if you don't have quantified proof. I love hearing the detail of this example. Any regular listeners will know on the last episode, which was called Coverage to Capital, I interviewed Richard and Daryl about some research that they did. And it was all about looking at unicorn businesses. And it was looking at the amount of, they did a big analysis of 65 companies and the type of coverage and the amount of coverage they got and then compared it to the investment that they had gained. And there was a clear correlation between the articles, numbers of pieces of coverage, and then the increase of investment that they gained as well. So it was great sort of talking about that research, but to actually go into the detail and the proof point of your example is fantastic. So we've talked about the musical shoes, I'm calling it. I know that's not the official <laughs> name. <laughs> it works. It works for our purposes. I love it. Well, I just on a, a personal note because I love hip hop and it was one of the reasons why I moved to New York, not just because of a business reason, but... Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, love <laughs> 90s hip hop and R&B and I just wanted to be in Brooklyn just to feel it. Yes. <laughs> but that's another conversation. But I've just been to a really amazing exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery called Beyond the Streets. And it was in New York. Oh, no, I think it was in LA. Anyway, it's just come over to London. Some people might know about it, but it's the full history of street art. But they had loads of like how hip hop originated in the 80s. And I just feel like your shoe should be there. That's what I'm getting at. Well, <laughs> well I will tell you this, that through this amazing journey, I've literally made friends. I actual colleagues now that I've worked with on every continent. But if I can give them a shout out, probably I have not met more lovely people than I have in Amsterdam. And one of them was doing something for ADE, which is like the big dance festival. And they were scouting a location at the Museum of House. And they were scouting and they were filming the scout. And then they looked up on the wall and they had put my shoe in, like a, in a video to and he looked at, oh my goodness, that's, and sent it to me. So it does pop up in crazy places. <laughs> and will be there. <laughs> and from your mouth to God's ears, it could end up there because I swear that community has shown me so much love and understanding, which is just the best part. So for them to see me, which was so meaningful to me, not just as an artist, but understand my, because I'm also a musician, understanding you know, the music and the culture was really powerful. Mm. And again, that kind of goes back to not doing anything and not any initiative in any business that's not coming from something received, something from your heart, from your soul, 
Because when you do that, I mean, you're really connecting with people. And I think that's what we need. We need a little more of in the world, less perfunctory, less performative, less surface. I mean, look, it's a shoe. It looks good. But if it doesn't do anything, it has to do something too. So that applies across the board to every initiative, every project, every campaign. So we've talked about the music and the sport industry and communities that you tapped into with that project. We talked about at the beginning of the interview that you've been helping other organizations and that they are in sort of different sectors. What other kind of projects have you helped, especially with this concept of PR really helps lead to funding? Is there yes. anyone you can mention or like different kinds of sectors that you've helped? So we've worked in many different sectors, but again, it, for me, it's particularly powerful with startups, but also with causes. Mm-hmm. So one in particular that I can think of that is a, an extraordinarily controversial issue, if I can say on the podcast, mm-hmm. was a cause, an organization, a consortium of 30,000 doctors who were working together in an attempt to solve the gun violence pandemic. And I was working with them pre-coronavirus when they had identified this in the United States of America as a health crisis. So it was a pandemic, pre-pandemic in their eyes. And they came to me, they were kind of, they were a cause and they were a startup. So they were looking for leadership guidance. They were looking for communication. And they needed to fundraise. And one of the very first things I said to them, because again, they were all about the data. They were researchers and they were trying to quantify the problem for people. So we were assisting them in doing that. And one of the ways we were attempting to quantify that for the audience was through the very unfortunately, the press and the media, because we had something built into their website, which was a ticker which was number of days since gun violence incident. And it basically remained at zero every day. Oh, no. So it was every day, members of this organization were being asked to speak to the media. They were being asked to speak on the topic. And it was nonstop press. So when they were attempting to raise money to do their research and do their work and speak to people in an effort to help Everyone really, because again, it's all of our problem, especially here in the States. They needed a way that removed the issue from politics and focused on the numbers. Mm. And very sadly, that was using a coverage book and quantifying that press was a way that we were able to do that for them. So they could approach the audience and say, this is something that needs immediate attention. Yeah. Wow. So... Very different example, but it works in a way to be able to show it is such a big issue to be able to get that funding and the support that they need. Yes. What was the main goal for those guys? Were they able to pull together to get to the funding? Trying to think of the key objective for them. Did they manage to reach that? There are many political obstacles, which is the most I could say about the problem. They were very successful in organizing and they were very successful in obtaining a certain amount of support, but there are many political obstacles here in, the, in this country. And to their credit, one of the things they were trying to do was depoliticize the topic and they were completely apolitical 
as an organization. They had members from every walk of life, every political orientation imaginable in this. So it was an open-hearted, authentic approach, and they were doing their best. Mm -hmm. And then again, much like with everyone and everything, our stopping point was for us working with them was right before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened. So the pandemic was the great interrupter of progress for their global health crisis. And as we all know, for all of our lives. So not to bring the podcast down, (laughs) but it was like, you know, I feel like with many things, momentum was lost. But now as we're cycling up, three, three and a half years later, we'll see how we're able to kind of return to some normal and go back out there and approach people now that they're not just thinking about the lockdown and the pandemic. And Sure. Yeah. We've talked about the investors, when especially when we're thinking about startup businesses and how important data is to them to prove that there is interest in a need or a business. So we know that data is super important for those decision makers. What's your view on PR people, PR teams using data? You've talked about the data that you gained from the coverage being a huge part in being able to get the shoe prototyped. How do you think data is used in PR? And do you think that it's used in a great way, in a confident way? Where do you think we're at? I personally think that data must lead PR. I mean, I think what you're deriving from the success of a PR campaign, the first thing you should look at is the data, the numbers. As we know, this means a lot for a startup, a cause, a charity, someone starting from nothing trying to build. Every good piece of PR they get that can be quantified is going to help them drive their product forward, launch their business, get people behind them, raise money. Now for a big company, doing the normal thing, kind of plotting forward, the data still matters. Because if you're looking at it honestly, you'll be able to assess, are we still reaching the audience? Mm. Do they care? Where are we putting our time, our initiatives, our money, and is it working? Yeah. Whether you're already established or you're just getting started, you really do have to look authentically at the numbers. You know, as we said with the coverage book, you can kind of go in and tweak when you have to, but the beautiful part about it is it's giving you something very real. And then you really have to look at that number and ask yourself, this is going well. (laughs) You know, I hate to say it because again, it's like as an artist and all that, you know, there's the element of feeling. Does it feel good? Do we like it? But also as me, I can't speak for anyone else. I need to know that this is working. Otherwise it might just be a grand old waste of time and money. So it's really important that we have that come to Jesus about what the numbers are telling us good, bad, or otherwise. And then we can kind of reorient ourselves or strategize or go back to the drawing board and innovate again to make improvements and changes where we need to. I sound like a school teacher, like an annoyed (laughs) school teacher 
but it's essential. It's essential yeah. to the vitality and the survival of your business. Yeah. So don't lie to yourself. It's okay. not helpful. <laughs> and if you're sharing those PR results with people who are not used to working with PR or understanding the outcomes of PR on a day-to-day do you, I mean, obviously you have sent PR results in some form. I don't know if it's just the yes. data or the coverage onto investors. Do you edit the reports? Do you send them reports or do you just send them numbers? What are you sharing? With I don't. Uh, for me, I've been lucky because I have this crazy mega blast. It's like mega viral. So I was so proud of it that it was kind of fun for me to just give those top stats and then send the whole report to get in there and organize it and organize it by continent and highlight some really beautiful stories and then just kind of whammy them with something can't ignore. I love that. I guess as a performer too, I love that. It's kind of like closing out first act and putting out the big number because no one can deny it. It's like I'm saying, you can kind of brag on yourself as much as you like. But the minute you drop that coverage book, it's like, okay, here we go. I've thrown the gauntlet down. (laughs) And it's great. It's wonderful. It's like super validating. And it makes you feel confident when you walk in the room because you know you have the proof. Yeah. So do you recommend that as part of your strategy with all organizations that you work with? You like, you need to get a PR strategy. It is absolutely. Oh my gosh. I sometimes get people, well, I frequently get people that come to me and they're looking for like one component. And then we sit down and I say, just talk at me for an hour. I take it all in. I look at what they have and you start to see the holes. So if you're already cycled up and you don't have that PR going, how are we proving who our audience is? How are we defining them? How are we creating an audience profile? Mm. Because we can theoretically come up with models from now till the end of time, but it's not until we really see how people react to things that we really know. So you need to have that. And that's always... When I'm having meetings with people, particularly startups, it's one of the very first things I recommend. Mm. If you have not called your PR together, you need to do that. And then you need to get it into a coverage book so that you have those numbers. The research that I've already mentioned that we looked at in the last episode, they noticed that there was a pattern of the higher the funding that came in, it tended to be that there was coverage that mentioned, or not mentioned, but was profile pieces or spokesperson pieces from the founder. So them really sort of telling their story or telling the story of the business. Have you found that that works or is it just tend to be that that's the tech world that that works for? I have found that it works. I think making things personal for people, plus as a founder, honestly, it's such an incredible privilege and honor to be able to talk to people about who you are, why you do things, where ideas come from. And it connects you immediately to all these other people. I really am all about a genuine connection with people. So the more people give you an opportunity to kind of put your heart 
on the table or tell your story, what better way to actually kind of get your message out there if you really do have a message and a meaning and you're coming from the right place? And so I think, yeah, combining the power of those profile pieces and something where you're able to speak, and then you have the kind of the numbers on how people reacted to that. What could be more powerful? Because you can have the same kind of rehash of an article about the product again and again, but personal profiles are tremendous just kind of for moving anything along and growing that network. What yeah. a result as well if um, people who are doing that spokesperson sort of placement to be able to hopefully get them towards some kind of funding maybe IPO one day, whatever it might be. Yes. Achievement. So there may well be some entrepreneurs listening to this and some startups. How can people wanted, maybe you can get some of your time. You sound like a very busy woman, but how can people connect with you? And especially if they're in your area of New York as well. Yes. Well, you can go to my website, meliandaughters.com. Check out all the work. It's divided clearly into the art section and the commerce section and just reach out to me. I'm actually always happy to help people that I feel whatever they're working on is genuinely inspiring. And lately, like I said, I'm all about causes and charitable organizations and startups. I love to see things come into the world. Let's bring something into the world together that makes those, the world better and makes people happier. Let's do it. Love it. Love that. I'll include all of the links in the show notes, but Margot, I know you're a busy woman, so I'm not going to keep you any longer. Thank you so, so much for your time. It's been lovely hearing about all of your work. Thank you. You've taken the words right out of my mouth. It's so lovely to talk to you anytime. Thank you so much. That was the PR Resolution Podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.